Welcome back to the Rab Mountain People podcast with me, your host, Andy Cave. In this series, we celebrate 40 years of the brand Rab and chat with key people behind the scenes. Here is a glimpse of what's coming up. But I was hooked. Within a year, I'd made all of my university choices on the basis of climbing, and then I made it look like that was the best course to go for. Yeah, so I met Pete at the wall, and I'd approached him to see whether he wanted to go for this challenge thing to solo as many routes as possible in a day and I couldn't get anyone else that wanted to do it at the time Pete was just well up for it straight away it has to be different and unique we like breaking the rules and, and doing things differently we're really really driven by challenge at the limit of what we're both capable of we'd come across this big project in the US which was Century Crack and it was this ultimate mythical first ascent project. And that was like the crazy stretch out there goal. It's amazing if you can find the margin of what's possible and not possible. That's a very elusive, alluring thing. In this episode, we chat with one of Rab's longest serving athletes, Tom Randall. We go underground, or rather, under the stairs of Tom's house, down into his infamous cellar. It's down there that wide boys Tom and Pete Whitaker trained for their ludicrous crack climbing adventures such as Century Crack in America. Outside in Tom's garden sits a huge wooden climbing structure, the original testing board that helped Tom launch the pioneering Lattice Testing and Training Company. Tom, Ollie Tor and the Lattice team test and provide structured training plans for literally hundreds of climbers globally, all keen to improve their climbing performance. Tom is a serial entrepreneur. I wanted to know what makes him tick. What's his secret of success? Why did he stop being a London city trader? And does he ever actually sleep? So come on, join us in Tom's cellar in the house of pain and listen to what he has to say. Hey Tom, great to see you again. Uh, back down the cellar. It's been a while. I think I was last year. I reckon it was... Uh, yeah, 10 years ago, when I, apparently I was one of the first doing the lattice testing, is that right? No, time flies, doesn't it? Yeah, God blimey, I think I was hanging off that beam. I think you probably were, it yeah. It made me have some huge dumbbell on my chest and do some weird thing. Um, yeah, but anyway. Back in the days when I was making everything up. Yeah, things have it. moved on a little bit. But I mean, sellers, did you, was that criteria when you bought the house? Uh, it kind of was actually, yeah. But not because I thought I was going to make a crack seller. That wasn't actually in my mind at that point. I don't remember. Although I think it was very close. It was. We're not talking Breaking Bad, are we? Crack seller. You mean a, a yeah. cellar with a crack in it, right? Yeah, like a training facility right, okay. underneath yeah. the cellar. Um, from what I remember was we'd already kind of committed to buying the house and it seemed cool to have a cellar. Yeah. But whilst we were in the process of exchanging on the house, me and Pete were on a trip in Kalimnos, sport climbing, funnily enough, and we designed the crack cellar on a piece of paper in Kalimnos in an Airbnb. Actually, that's probably the days before Airbnb existed, um, but in a B&B yeah, yeah. to come and build this thing. Nice. So for people, there might be people listening to this who really don't know what we're talking about, but basically a lot of climbers in Sheffield or everywhere in Britain have their own little climbing wall in the, in the cellar of the houses, that's right? Yeah, I mean, it, it's either the cellar underneath the house or an outhouse on the side of the house or in the 
garage or in the garden. But I think there's a there's definitely a culture of training and climbing, so rock climbing and training on wood or plastic in the Sheffield scene. And people like it, they're into it, and they make a work make it work. They make it happen. Yeah, great. So all those terraced houses in Sheffield that we designed, the cellars, I guess, to sort of to put coal down there back in the day. Yeah. Uh, and now there's little climbers. How many cellar climber walls would you guess at in Sheffield if you you know I'm gonna say 500 there's got to be 500 yeah and in lockdown I guess it's just went even more yeah probably yeah. doubled yeah easily yeah tripled yeah. and you had uh your lattice original lattice board in the garden I remember that and that's yeah. still there is it uh yeah it, it doubled in size I, I actually tore it down because it was about to fall down and then rebuilt it um, but we built it so big originally that when we came back from a trip abroad for a few months, uh, there was a homeless person living under the um, the, the board in the garden. It, wow. was, it was so significant in size. But then we got the council called on us for planning permission because apparently you're not allowed to build something that big in the garden. Uh, so we had to move in. Yeah. Downside is it a bit. So lots of interest. So I guess it must feel like home to you down here. Well, I mean, it is your home, but I mean, this is your kind of second home. Yeah, it's like performance zone. Performance zone. Yeah. 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 Cool. A lot of good feelings about this place. Yeah. Yeah. So you've been here how long in this house now? Or in Sheffield? How long have you been in Sheffield? Uh, Sheffield? Well, I've been on, in and out of Sheffield fairly permanently since I was 19 years old. Okay. So 22 years. So let's talk about the young Randall. I mean, where were you brought up? And uh, yeah, where did you start? Where were you born? Uh, well, I was born in South Africa, and we spent five years in South Africa, and then we went to Cornwall for five or six years, and then we moved up to Bristol for seven years or so, okay. and that's when I started going to university. Okay, so you went to university in Bristol? Uh, no, in Sheffield. Right, okay, so you came up right. for climbing. Okay, yeah. you were already a climber. When did you start climbing? Uh, 17. Right, okay. But I was hooked. Within a year... I'd made all of my university choices on the basis of climbing. Where was the best university? And then I m made it look like that was the best course to go for. Yeah. And convinced my parents. And were um, you, I mean, were you, I mean, you're known for having a lot of energy. I would imagine as a kid, what were you like? Pretty energetic, I would have thought. Uh, yeah, I'd have like plenty of energy to burn. I've always been really obsessive. Yeah. Really into things to the, the nth what degree. What was the first thing you remember being into as a kid? Oh, that's a good question. Um, or an example of something where you were super obsessed by something. Uh, so I really got into, I was really into Lego as right. a kid. Yeah. Actually, no, I'll tell you the first thing that I got into that was weird was I got really into plant propagation when I was about seven or eight years old. Right. And I just would go around taking clippings of everything, trying to propagate them. Right. I remember yeah. this just like the other day when I was in the barbers talking to someone who was really into their plants. And I went, I just remembered I used to be into plant propagation. Why was that? Wow. Yeah. So, yeah, that was one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice one. What did you study at uni? Uh, geography. Right. Okay. And then you ended up, I know you worked in the city. Did you do other stuff before that? Or was that your first job? or? Uh, I did like some weekend jobs working in bars yeah. and, and stuff like that just to kind of, you know, keep the money rolling yeah. in for various different things. Um but, uh, yeah, going into the city was my first kind of proper job as such. Um, and what was the attraction to that? Or why did you think, oh, I'll try that? Uh, well, I've, I've always had a understanding and interest in 
the markets and stock markets and yeah. finance and things right. from a really yeah. really young age yeah. um i traded my own money right as a teenager wow um like i think other people probably just save their pocket money and put it in a bank i thought it was interesting to trade it yeah uh and and then i like funded my way through university so i got my student loan yeah and i didn't go and spend it i invested it and right. traded it actively yeah. so when i went to my first job i went in with a track record because i didn't have a very impressive degree at all like you should go in with a you know a master's in business or whatever it might be or yeah. economics but i had a geography degree but i had a track record of training uh, yeah. trading sorry yeah and geography were you interested in was it more like the physical bit or the human bit uh it's climatology actually Re reconstruction of climatology yeah right okay yeah that was my thing yeah nice so you came to sheffield and i think i first met you you were working at the the edge yep climbing wall is that when you were at uni then or no was that was just after i'd left london right so i'd left london and it was a good job uh reasonably well paid um and then i took a job as a receptionist slash root setter for the edge and i think i was on like eight grand a year or something right. like that so a bit of a change yeah like could just about yeah. pay the rent and yeah. pay for some food and stuff uh but it was just brilliant i so got into climbing it really was it felt to me like just total immersion yeah with fellow obsessives yeah, although I, it took me a while to find other obsessive, actually. It was more like I felt like an outsider initially when I came to the Sheffield scene. Everyone was kind of cool, and they were proper climbers. And a bit cliquey, can be a bit. Uh, yeah, a little bit, yeah. yeah. And I felt, like an, I felt like a Londoner, even though I wasn't a Londoner as such, but it's where I people knew I'd come from, so I didn't feel like a proper Sheffielder initially. Yeah. Like Pete Robbins, he was probably knocking it, knocking around at the back yeah, of the wall, was, Yeah, he was, yeah. Well, I mean, his dad... Was That's the owner right, of the wall, of course, and everything, yeah. yeah. And is that where you met Pete Whitaker? Yeah, so I met Pete at the wall. Uh, How old was he when you first met him? Then? I think he was sixteen, right, or something like that. Yeah, and so um, he was already kind of on fire in climbing terms. Yeah, so I I first started climbing with him when he'd just done uh, a really hard E nine, where he kind of like broken into the scene, and it was kind of unusual for such a young kid to do a really bold new first ascent. And I that dynamics have changed. Yeah, that's yeah, right. That crazy E9. Crazy looking route. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I'd approached him to see whether he wanted to go for this kind of challenge, 24 hour challenge, challenge thing to solo as many routes as possible in a day. And I couldn't get anyone else that wanted to do it at the time. And Pete was just well up for it straight away. And it kind of just went from that. Just okay. one mega experience right from the outset. And then the partnership was made in a way. Yeah. And I get the, you know, when I look at what you've done, and we'll get into a lot of that with your businesses and stuff, I get the two things that strike me is that you you like to build things. You're talking about that with your interest in money and building things or with the plants and and also sort of partnerships and relationships. They seem quite important to you as well. So yeah, two definitely. Go hand in hand. Yeah, I think I'm, as I've gone through the years now, and I'm 40 or 41, can't remember which one it is, <laughs> one of the two, um, I've realised that I have somewhat of a an ability to recognize good partnerships uh which is definitely i'll put like a good onus of the things that i've achieved have been down to good partnerships not really solely on my shoulders as such yeah. that's nice isn't it because i mean a lot of in the climbing media today a lot of it it is about the kind of the individual sometimes isn't it like you know in many sports 
Mm. And uh, I mean, sometimes you see things reported like Big Roots and El Cap and just one person mentioning like, well, who are they with? Yeah, yeah. But with the, certainly the wide boys, it's 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 like that, the team. Yeah, really. Yeah, which is which is quite nice. And why do you think it works so well with Pete, and why you've got on? Um, I think it's a a combination of shared values and mission. I think we're very very similar in that sense. What are they? Uh, I think the shared values are a lot of fun. It has to be different and unique. Um, we like breaking the rules as such and, and doing things differently. Um, we're really, really driven by challenge at the limit of what we're both capable of. Physically, mentally, whatever. Yeah, just anything that feels like it's on the borders of possible, I think we both find really, really appealing. But then in character and personality, we have loads of differences and we're not, you know, identical. What, what does Pete bring to the, the team then that uh, you don't have? I would say Pete is a, um, a calmer, more methodical, accountable person who's really, really reliable and kind of just good, solid, steady. You can just rely on, rely on him in a sort of supportive manner. Yeah. In almost every circumstance, especially when stuff goes wrong. It's what very, does he value in you, do you think? Uh, I think, I, I haven't asked. I mean, I think it comes up occasionally, but I think I, I'm good at suggesting wild card ideas that seem unrealistic. But then we somehow fall into this trap of going, well, yeah, we should just go for it. Crazy so, stretch goals. So, yeah, 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 something like that. And I think I bring a good amount of commitment and energy to stuff. And he won't back down, and then I won't back down, and he won't back down, and then we're in. Nice. And I guess cracks are the things that have generally excited you. Yeah, I, I mean, that again uh, really came from a very early thing where I was getting quite into the style. And I'd said to Pete, do you want to come and try the hardest stuff with me? Are you up for it? And... He just jumped in and went, yeah, go on in. Um, and then quickly, as we went through the grades and climbed some of the hardest stuff in the peak, we'd come across this big project in the US, which was Century Crack. Yeah. And it was this ultimate mythical first ascent project. And that was like the crazy stretch out there goal of like 9A crack. Because, you know, it was really billed as being just impossibly hard. And we thought, well, yeah, maybe. And it's funny, isn't it? Because you've got... You know, for non-climbers listening, that Americans like they pride themselves on crack climbing. It's what they do. They're, they're basically cracks in many parts of America. So even your average climber in America would be good at cracks. And Brits tend to go over there and kind of struggle really, get really pumped and fall <laughs> off and go. You know, uh, and so it's like, how do you train for the cracks over there? And I guess we're here, aren't we? You basically turn this place into some sort of like you say, crack house that you can train on different, looking above your head, there's like, that's like for fingers, wide fingers, narrow fingers, there's like a hand jam crack, fist jams, I mean, there's everything in here. Yeah. And yeah. now you've extended your house, so it just, I see it goes on. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, and then you sort of, what, calculating how big was Century Crack? I don't know, like, you know, 100 foot or something, or more than that, was uh, it? I think it is maybe 160 foot, 180 foot. Yeah. ish roof crack i mean there's a picture of part of it across there on the wall right yeah that we used to look at every single time we do another lap in the cellar and you'd look across at the project yeah 
Um, and so I can see here, I'm looking up at the this the board of truth, and it's just loads and loads of sort of laps crossed out with a T for Tom and a P for Pete, and it's just it's just mental. It just goes on and on and on, and then right at the bottom it says, "Fuck the pain, one more lap." So yeah, that's yeah. this is where it all happened. But I'm thinking for the Americans, they're like, "Wow, so they came and did like the hardest route in America, stroke the world, crack wise, training." And this little cellar in Sheffield, it must have sort of... What did they make of you, the Americans? Um, it was it was a mixture. I think inevitably some people are happy about it and they love it and they find it inspiring. Others feel like you've pitched in on the turf a little bit and there's a, you know, a little bit of UK, bit US... Yeah, turf war. Uh, and it, it inevitably, I think it it went the right direction because we came from like an underdog stance. Yeah. No one expected us to do that. We were okay trad climbers before that. We were definitely a long way from what we would consider kind of world class. And then within a period of a couple of months, we had this incredible tour all the way across, you know, the key states in the US climbing and repeating everything faster than anyone else had done it. So we kind of just got a snowball of momentum and then we topped it off with this first ascent, which, you know, was an amazing line and, and attracted a lot of attention and just all the stuff, right stuff yeah. came together at the right time. I guess you, your knowledge of like, which obviously we'll, we'll come on to lattice in a little bit, but presumably it was, was it something around specificity? Specificity. How do I say that? Yeah. And also like energy systems. Was it, was it something around there? So you kind of did know what you, you knew what you were doing, even though, is that right? You know, yeah, I would say. What helped you climb it, if you like? Quietly underneath it, um, me and Pete are really, really methodical, but we're like quiet methodical. We don't shout about it. Um, I think in some ways because we need to detach our very logical, analytical approach from the fun, somewhat sort of disaster, clumsy style approach with it. Because if you put too much uh, ego or mentality into being very professional, really good at doing what you're doing. I think you inflate your ego and then it becomes hard to deal with setbacks and how you right. deal with yourself within in the setting of a challenge. So we downplay that and just push it off, but we'll do it. We just don't think about it too much. And then big up in your own mind, how everything's just a bit, you know, wing it cavalier yeah. style, which doesn't make you feel great about yourself because you're yeah. basically saying I'm semi unprofessional about this. And then you put the blend of it together and yeah. it works really well. But we it's are like really... using that kind of understatement or taking the pressure off yourself, yeah. Yeah, but it's not about pressure, no. I would say. I think it's about putting yourself in the right mindset mm -hmm. and taking the right approach with it. That's what I think has been important for what we do because both me and Pete deal with pressure fine. Yeah. Um, either way, good or bad. Or, or like lots of pressure or not lots of pressure. Yeah, thanks. Well, let's move on. I mean, that leads us on to lattice and i mean things have moved on from you started out here in your cellar with a bs you really was it was yeah it? originally it was just collecting a load of data on gb competition climbers and so you were working with the british now. team and that's how it started yeah, yeah i was originally the manager of the gb senior team and then i did that for a couple of years and then i moved on to coaching the junior team and i just wanted to create a system for analyzing climbers and doing it objectively because it frustrated me that it was too subjective so I took a lot of what I could get from sports science and other sports and things like that, 
pulled together my own ideas and then built a, essentially a, a performance profiling method around analyzing climbers. And for the first, I think like first five years even, I just did it because it seemed fun and I wanted to collect data on climbers. Yeah. And a now, long time. And now how many people have gone through, do you know the number, gone through a lattice assessment? Oh, uh, Roughly. In excess of? Oh, it's tens of thousands of people. And global, presumably. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's, um, it's, a, it's a lot of people. So that's it surprises me sometimes. That's right? a very rich data set, isn't it? Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. Uh, it's really interesting, for sure. Yeah. And it's got so big now that I didn't even understand it half the time. So. And you really, I guess things took off when you teamed it with Ollie? Yeah, yeah. Again, so, another long-lasting partnership. Mm -hmm. um, again, what, did, what does Ollie bring to the... To the team that maybe you didn't have at that time when you were first starting out i'd say probably a very very similar character to pete right actually yeah he's methodical he's well thought out he's really accountable he sticks to what he says he's going to do he's good for it and he's really supportive cool and now uh, the team is how big oh, i think we're 32 people amazing or something like that yeah um kind of lo <laughs> lose track <laughs> I try not to think about it too much. Yeah, don't think about it too much. So, are there any? I mean, are there any any exciting breakthroughs or things happening in sort of climbing training on the physical side or the mental side or anything that's emerging new things? Um, or is it more doing the, the same things, things better? Or um, I think there's some really interesting stuff to be done with wearable tech and digital. Um, training or sort of performance testing i think that's the next interesting area where climbing will go from a, a performance coaching training sort of aspect. stuff that maybe cycling's been using for a while yeah just because the data the, the sort of the granularity or the detail on the data is much higher uh, the repeatability is better the reliability is better um the testing uh, scope of what you can do is so much broader i think that's where it will go for sure and you have, I guess, you you have such a range of folk that are following lattice programs from super elite. I mean, is Will Bosey one of your uh, yes, he is, athletes? Yeah, yeah, he's yeah. he's kind of on fire, isn't he? Yeah, uh, he's done. Yeah, he's done well over the years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've yeah we've trained all sorts of different people from yeah like Will, you know, like incredible competition climber, through to Alex Honnold, who likes his soloing, um, through to you know like amazing British trad climbers who've climbed some hard, hard gnarly, scary stuff. Yeah, all, all, all sorts, really. Great stuff. And what do you think, um, I guess you can give people the physical tools, but what are the things that might get in the way to, to sort of stop them reaching the potential? Just generally, what, what have you seen over the years with climbers that are maybe the things that, you know, they get the physical bit in place, but then there's just something that... I would say if I had to put my finger on one thing that everyone could deal with would be lifestyle choice and time management. That's the biggest sticking point for most people to actually achieve what they want in, in their climbing if they want to really push it. So that's almost taking a, a step back and a really hard look of what you're going to sacrifice, I guess. Yeah, really, or where you're going to choose to focus your energy, your time, your money, your resources and everything like that, and then how you manage that time once you've made that choice. Yeah. But it's very hard to do right, yeah. or, or to 
do consistently. And how do you do it? Because you're a, <sighs> not you're very a, well. You're, a, you're a, you know, family man. Two kids, two young kids. Um, running how many? Because you've got other businesses beyond yeah. Lattice. How many? How many other businesses have you got? You can't remember a few. Uh, you've got this, a big project you were telling me about. You're pretty excited about another one. You and Pete, which I can obviously obviously see. You've got the fire in your eyes with that mm. one, whatever it is. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, how do you plan? Do you? How does uh, it work? Is it? Is there a day in the week or there's a month? Do you map it out? I mean, you've got. How, how do you know where you need to be and what to do? Okay, so one, I am not a planner. Right. I'm really not great at planning. Okay. Uh, I kind of have it in my head intuitively. Right. Uh, so I'm not a, yeah, I mean, I do do diaries nowadays and I'm right. pretty good at them, but I was okay. forced to do them. Right. Uh, I think I have a lot of really supportive, good people that I work with. Um, so I'm really like 1% of the equation now. I feel like there's 99 other people around me who are all doing amazing things to help support the stuff that I might have the vision or the direction or the drive for. Um, so I'm really just, yeah, like a small part of that thing now of whatever I achieve with it and and I would say I'm pretty disciplined about staying uh, focused on the things that I am really committed to so and I can sometimes appear hard-nosed about certain things that I will or won't do because I know what's what I'm into yeah and I think to do it all day long seven days a week staying consistent with you had to really into the thing yeah. Or you drive yourself mad and you can't find the energy. So good good delegation and having people you, you, you really trust around you, I guess. Yeah, and, and kind of good energy. They're committed. Yeah. They're really capable at whatever they're doing. Really supportive people. Finding people that are good blends of who work with you. I think I'm a nightmare to work with most of the time. I was going to say, what sort of boss people. are you, do you reckon? Oh, I don't know. You'd have to ask. I'll have to ask them. Yeah, well, Someone we, else. And... Um, Yeah, I think, well, we could, talking about projects, because obviously you, you, you strike me as someone who loves a project. Yeah. I mean, um, in climbing terms. Um, so what what does a project have to, what boxes does it have to tick for you, a climbing project? You know, we're saying you and Pete are looking for something that's going to be, you know, keep you busy for training for, I don't know how long a, a typical project you might have to train for, a year. What's the sweet spot? Something you're going to do in a year's time, or is it smaller than that, or a bit bigger? Um, yeah, I'd say one to two year projects are probably the sweet spot for the most, uh, the enjoyable, the enjoyableness of the process and the work towards it. But then the feeling that you get when you achieve the thing on the, on the outside or, or the outcome. Um, I'd say we both have short term and then even longer term projects, you know, compared to that as well. Yeah. But really it's down to, it's amazing if you can find margin of what's possible and not possible that's a very elusive alluring thing especially if it's a new route as well you might not even know the grade oh yeah i mean that's extra yeah extra fun on that um and it's the yeah it's the blend between known like certainty and uncertainty bringing your experience the ability to be able to master the process or master the project itself in the end uh, so it's like a drive for mastery, I guess, um, in any particular instance. And then, especially with projects that we do together, it's got to be that shared energy and passion for the same thing, which, again, is such 
a rewarding thing to do when you share it evenly yeah. with someone else because you're equally invested. So you end up in this very um, unique uh, commitment to each other to follow through. What about get if thing you done. have situations where one does it and the other doesn't? It really rarely happens. Right. That's really rarely, yeah. actually. Yeah. Yeah, that's nice. Because you both, in theory, you've done the same training. You, you, you kind of know where you're at. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe that's, that says that the partnership thing was effective. Have you ever walked away from a project, you guys, or...? Oh, um, I would or, or say... Or paused a project. I'd say a crucifix. We have maybe walked away from that one, which is a, you know, possibly hard... In America again, another yeah. ludicrous crack in the yeah. desert. Like, we thought it would be maybe 15A, 15B originally. Very hard. But I think it's beyond that. Beyond. I think it's at the beyond what the fingers will actually do in terms of just ripping off the skin and degloving and... You're not well, selling it well. Yeah, I'm not sure whether that's possible. But presumably, when you when you succeed on a project, there's just must be a hell of a, a hell of a feeling when it you know all that work. Yes, I say it's the process. It's the process more. Yeah, yeah. You, most of the enjoyment. Do you, and the... do you spend much time looking back on things, or is it? I mean, how long do you get before you start looking for the next one? Because it can be minutes, a bit brutal, half can't an hour? it, climbing like that? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. There's yeah. a few that I think we've enjoyed for a couple of weeks afterwards, for sure. So it yeah. has to be the process, doesn't it? Otherwise, you wouldn't do it. If no. You didn't enjoy the process. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Nice. So, let's talk about just more general stuff. I mean, you know, what what sort of things stress you out, would you say, the most? Mm, not enough time right not enough time not doing things well and too much responsibility to others I'd say right so just trying to manage manage that yeah yeah and I mean what's uh, what's your working week how many hours do you reckon I don't know I don't clock it you don't clock it I've only ever clocked it once uh which was when the first week of COVID happened. Right. Uh, and things were really kicking off at work. And I did 124 hours in a week. That's pretty good going. Two full all-nighters. Like, I just worked all the way through the night. And then just got up and went... Well, didn't get up. Just went to work the next day. Wow. Yeah. That was the worst week of it. But that's... I knew it was going to be bad, so I clocked it just to find yeah. out what it would be. I guess that's was probably trying to... Yeah, looking after your team and making sure things were kind of... Yeah, it was it was really messy. It was very very hard. Um, and because I work between the UK and the USA, like a lot of my work was working with like USA side of things all the way through the night. So which is why the whole thing just spiraled out into a a lot of work. So listen, there might be people out there thinking, how, how do you fit all this stuff in? Are there any any nuggets, any any tips for people that are, I don't know, not doing, you know, who might be doing a, I don't know, like a they might be doing a 50-hour week and they've got a couple of kids and they, they want to, you know, progress with, let's say, climbing or whatever. You know, how, how, do, we, how do we manage it? Uh, well, I'd say, first off, I think I'm massively disadvantaging myself by having this lifestyle. Um, I don't think it's good at all. And I wouldn't say it's actually productive to climbing really well and having amazing adventures. So you wouldn't adventures. tell your clients to do the same? No ways. I think it's a, it's a terrible idea. Um, but I, 
I am who I am and I do what You're I do. now involved in all these things. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. And I'm committed. Yeah, um, sure. And I don't particularly like to back down from things. Sure. Uh, but I would say that the main things are it's basically partnering up with the right people and finding people that can... Or locations or strategies that allow you to achieve the things that you do. I think you got, can't rely just on yourself in life. And if you do that, you're always going to really limit yourself. Um, and then I, secondly, I think it's um, really good to get comfortable with being uncomfortable and telling yourself every time you feel like that, this is a good thing because I'm seeking being uncomfortable because I think this is a good thing and just not panicking about it. Reframing it. Yeah. 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 I like that. So I think maybe being with the weather location, but the right people where you can, people that you get energy from, it's quite important. It isn't like a training partner or it's really... A lot of the top athletes seem to have that. Yeah. You know, people that good people they hang out with. Yeah. Um, so I'm trying to visualize you relaxing. Are you the sort of you know end of the Tom Randall week like a you know Radox bath with a bit of classical music on it? No, I'm joking. <laughs> How do you do you relax? How do you define relax? Well, I mean just switching off, just getting your mind to quiet down a little bit. Uh, go climbing. Right, literally, that is it. Yeah. So that's your way of. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I feel my best when I go climbing, and being in the outdoors, and just, I mean, the, probably the best things I can ever do for me is uh, go to the desert and spend a long time in the desert, just way away from everything, um, or just getting in my van and just going somewhere in the UK. Nice. And being climbing and just hanging out, yeah. and it actually doesn't matter whether I'm climbing specifically or just out outdoors. And do you ever, do you feel like burnout, has that, has that been an issue for you? Oh yeah, massively so, yeah. Do you, I mean, do you get better at it, think, right, here we go, or does it just happen and then you deal with it? Yeah, it happens and I deal with it. Yeah. Yeah. Brilliant. So, um, rest days, we were chatting about that earlier, weren't we? You were asking me how many rest days I have a week. I found as I get older, I need just more rest between climbing and training days. What? How do you fathom that? Depends what phase you're in, or because the people say, uh, well, it's yeah. during the rest that we're kind of making the gains, allegedly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's um, about having something that allows you to be uh, objective and accountable to what you're doing. So, for example, um, a training plan can do that because you can plan ahead and say, I am making a commitment to training four days a week and I am not going to do any four, more than four days a week and I'm going to fill in my diary so you can see at the end of the week did I do four days or did I do differently or you can have a training partner who you say I'm going to train with you all the time and you get to check in you know you get to see how much I'm doing so your climbing partner will call you out and say why are we down the wall for the sixth time this week yeah you said you were doing four a week so it's having those kind of yeah those yeah. structures in place and I think that really helps on that yeah. side because you quickly just get stuck in your own brain and go, I need to do more. Or yeah. I didn't do that much this week. I feel like I wasn't that busy. And it turns out that you did actually go six six times a week. Climbing. That's when you're going to burn out, get the tweaks, get injured. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So or just be rubbish because you're tired. Yeah. So in terms of rabbits, um, 40 years of the brand, rab, the company. Mm. And I know that you've been one of their... You are the most uh, long, longest-serving athlete. Um, 
why have you stuck with Rav as a, I think as a sponsor? Probably comes down to a couple of things. One is that I was always a Rav customer way, way back in the day. So I bought their stuff when I was paying for it before I was an athlete, before I was well-known, anything like that, because I thought it was really good. I liked their stuff. It was well-constructed. It felt like it was... just felt like the Sheffield thing, the Sheffield scene. It felt like you had, like, a badge that was under Peak District, you know, like, on you. So it felt like part of the clan. And I... So I identified with that. Um, and that's always been important for me. So logically, if you're then going to be an athlete for a brand, you want to believe in the product they produce and what what they're doing. Um, and then secondly is that it's always felt uh, a very, I don't know, like just down to earth company and the people that they work there are proper climbers. I can go out into the Peak District and see people that work there. I've kept in touch with almost everyone that I've worked with over the years of being there as an athlete and I still know them and I keep in touch and we chat about climbing and the outdoors. So it's just got a good feel about it and that's nice to work with. Great. And I guess you've been with them for how many years? We were thinking maybe 12, maybe 12 years, years or something like that. How yeah. do you think the industry's changed over that time? I think it's broadened. That's the thing that I've really seen. We, the, the climbing was, you know, a few niche areas and that's what people called climbing. Whereas now it's, you know, going to an indoor gym, it's going sport climbing in the crag, it's going bouldering on micro boulders with your kids and six coloured pads with four other parents that are really into their climbing. It's going to the local virgin gym and there happens to be like an auto belay on the wall belay on the wall it's, it's all of it and i think yeah. it's really broadened so there's more people involved with it there are a broader set of people um and it's very hard to define what climbing is now because it's just a big broad church yeah great well all all the best uh with your project tom anyway even though you haven't you won't tell me what it is but it sounds very exciting and how far away are you from it in terms of training do you think are you think like you, you're ready to go on it Oh yeah, it's all done. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, right. I've never been as in good a shape as I am now um, for that particular style of climbing and, and projects, which is really nice to have yeah, got brilliant. to that stage. Great stuff. All right, great to chat. Yeah, Cheers. thanks, Andy. Nice one. Thanks for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. Don't forget to subscribe, hit like, or leave comments. That would be brilliant. See you next time.